Greetings everyone, greetings everyone. Welcome to this message entitled, When Jesus Steps In. My goal in this message is to prepare you for an encounter with Jesus. And I know those of you who are meeting us in person uh, right now, you will also be experiencing a powerful encounter as we minister to you, as we pray and believe God for great things. But those of you listening online, there are powerful Bible-believing churches around you, believers around you, and you can have your own encounter with Jesus. So many Christians anticipate God's presence. We long for him to come and manifest himself in our midst, don't we? But sadly, we don't always know what to do when he comes. Sometimes you can have a preacher saying, friends, Jesus is here, but we don't know how to respond to his presence. And let me say something, feeling goosebumps, right, while enjoying your uh, favorite worship song doesn't mean you've necessarily had an encounter with Jesus. So it's not always about the emotion. Sometimes you can have an encounter with Jesus, but not feel too much. But there's been life change. There's been life change. So in this message, I will show you moments when Jesus stepped into a situation. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible tells us. So many people in scripture had encounters with Jesus. What did Jesus say to them? What did he say to them? How can we be prepared better for such encounters with Jesus? Because he wants to meet with us even today. You see, sadly, so often we become too familiar with the presence of God. But I'm telling you now, when you've had a revelation of how preeminent the Lord Jesus is, and when we talk about his preeminence, we're talking about his supremacy, his primacy, right? Uh, when you've had that revelation, it changes how you are in his presence, you begin to see that it is impossible to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus and yet remain the same. If you look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 to 19, the Bible says, For by him all things were created. By him all things were created. Every single thing. Just let that sink in. By him all things were created. Not just on earth. But it says, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. So there are things we can't see that were created that are very real. But just because you can't see them, it doesn't mean they're not there. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That's how big Jesus is. And this is the Jesus we're having an encounter with. I don't know what you're believing for, but it's so important to have this posture where you understand his supremacy, his preeminence. So how do you position yourself for an encounter with Jesus? John, that's John the Baptist, he had a revelation of the preeminence of Jesus. 
And this is why he could prepare people for an encounter with Jesus. I think that he's one of the best guys around that in terms of doing that because that was his calling to prepare the people for an encounter with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it says, he said this, I baptized you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here we see how John was differentiating himself from Jesus. He understood that Jesus was mightier, right? And so in preparing people for an encounter, he was helping them to position themselves for that encounter. My question to you today is, do you know what Jesus comes with? John knew. He knew that Jesus came as one who would baptize in the spirit, with the spirit and with fire. Do you know Jesus' distinguishing factors? When you come into his presence, what are you expecting? John knew. What are you looking for from Jesus today? When Jesus was with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he said, you know what? I can give you water, but my water will cause you not to thirst again. Jesus knew his product. Do you know his product? Do you know what he's offering you today? And as a result of that, what's your posture toward him? In order to have a true encounter with Jesus, we must position ourselves aright in relation to him. In John 3, 30 to 31, John went on to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is so key. You can't have a true encounter with Jesus if your mindset is, I am greater than him. If your mindset is, oh, Jesus is just this maid of mine, right? He must increase, we must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And that's why we sing that powerful worship song, above all powers, above all thrones, we acknowledge how great he is. We acknowledge his otherness. We must approach Jesus on the basis of covenant and not on the basis of works or emotions. See, our posture in encounters is so important. The only work we must speak of when we're trying to experience an encounter, when we're expecting God for an encounter, is the finished work at Calvary, what he did for us on the cross. That's the only work that counts when it comes to qualifying for an encounter. Sadly, many Christians try to have encounters based on a works mentality. And it's so important to understand the basis of our intimacy with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So when we come into his presence, it's based on covenant. It's based on covenant. We cannot have an old covenant mentality when we want to engage with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, a very powerful statement. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It doesn't say God's throne of works. It doesn't say God's throne of uh, performance. 
It says his throne of grace with confidence. What gives me confidence? What gives me boldness? The grace that he has extended to me so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That speaks of my posture as I boldly approach the throne of grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 29 to 31 in the New King James. That no flesh should glory in his presence. This is one of the quickest ways of short-circuiting encounters, short-circuiting the presence of God, grieving the Holy Spirit. It's when we come in our own flesh and we boast. We have to lay aside all our crowns. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our righteousness. That's why elsewhere in scripture it says, we've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it only happens when we come before God, not in our flesh, not boasting or glorying in our own goodness, but when we come in brokenness goes on to say that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. May this be our portion that we only glory in the Lord. I'm telling you, this is key for an experience, for an experience, for an encounter with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read the first, the, the same scripture, but I'm going to read it in the NIV now, just so that you can see. It says, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. One of the main things that short circuits encounters with Jesus and grieves the Holy Spirit is when we approach him on the basis of our own righteousness. And this is what boasting in the flesh actually is. My question to you is, are you more confident of his love for you because of your own deeds? Are you confident of his love for you because you're part of the new covenant based on better promises and you have a revelation of his grace towards you? It's on this basis that we have these encounters. There's nothing you can do right now that will make God love you more. It's an important revelation to really, really grasp and really have. There's nothing I can do right now that will make God love me more. Because if there is, then I'm actually saying he doesn't love me perfectly right now. Because there's still more that he can express to me in terms of his love. He loves me perfectly. He loves me completely right now. There's nothing I can do to change that. In the book of Psalms 51 verse 17, it says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, there's some sacrifice you have to make, an additional sacrifice in order to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you something. There's no sacrifice that you can make that will suddenly get Jesus' attention to say, let me reveal myself to you. The only sacrifice you can truly make that connects you in terms of an intimate relationship with Jesus is my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart toward you, God. You will not despise. And here's the mistake a lot of Christians make. 
They're full of pride. They're full of the flesh. And they're trying to make all sorts of sacrifices somehow to get closer to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There are sacrifices we make in life for our own sake. But we don't make those sacrifices so that Jesus suddenly wants to hear us or listen to us. So that Jesus suddenly says, oh, now you qualify. Let me reveal myself to you. It's brokenness. It's brokenness. It's brokenness that he does not despise. So what happens when Jesus steps in? I want to give you four key things today that take place when Jesus steps in. And I want to encourage you as you have your encounter with Jesus, that you also pursue these things. The first thing is that he delights in you. He delights in you. Whenever Jesus steps in, he communicates delight. If you are having certain supernatural experiences, but you're not experiencing the delight of the Father, you're not experiencing Jesus' delight in you, then you need to question, what's going on here? Which voices am I hearing? His voice is not a voice of condemnation. If the Holy Spirit convicts you concerning a particular thing, well, let me tell you something. He's very specific about it. He won't say, oh, you are bad. You're not a good enough Christian. He doesn't do that. Jesus knew the delight of his father and he actually passed on that same delight to us. In Matthew 3, 17, it says, this is just after he was baptized, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom, with him I am well pleased. So God didn't just communicate, God the father didn't just communicate love. He also communicated pleasure, the father's pleasure. And this was before Jesus had performed any miracles. His ministry had not yet begun and he knew the delight of his father. And I believe this preserved Jesus even later on when people started coming and treating him certain ways, even when the devil began to try to tempt him and say, are you really the son of God? Are you really, if you are, then perform this way and perform that way. Jesus did not get into a performance mentality. If anything, he held back a bit, didn't he? Why? He had a revelation that father delights in me before I've done anything. And I believe that he communicates the same thing to us. Just look how Jesus responded to his disciples. He sends out the disciples and they return from ministry. And Jesus basically says, don't rejoice because the demons are listening to you, are obeying you. He says this, Luke 10 verses 20 to 24. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. That word rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit is agulio, and it's a very powerful word. It literally means he leapt up in joy. Some places it speaks of how he, it's like, it, it speaks of, uh, he spun around ecstatically. Okay. It's when you're so excited about something. That's how expressive he is of you. It says at that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. 
Turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. Look how excited he was. He was excited that they had this revelation, that he revealed these things to them. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So he was excited about the encounters they were beginning to have. He was excited about the experiences of the supernatural they were beginning to have. He was, his excitement wasn't to do with himself. He was so excited that God had revealed himself to them. And that's how excited the Lord Jesus is about you. All right? When you get a revelation of the new covenant experience, Jesus rejoices. And he differentiates this from what the Old Testament prophets and kings had experienced. You know, sometimes we look and we see the amazing things Elijah did or Moses did, and we kind of feel like God really favored them above us. But I'm telling you right now, there's a new covenant experience we can walk in where Jesus is looking and he's just blown away. He's just like, you guys have got it. You guys don't know your potential. You guys have got it. Think of the people around you who are excited when things happen in your life. Now multiply that by infinity and you'll begin to grasp how Jesus feels about you. Moses and the guys couldn't cast out demons. They didn't cast out demons and do what we can do today because we can operate in the name of Jesus. They didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them permanently. We can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into the Holy Spirit by Jesus. Right? In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Will rejoice over you with singing. I mean, think about it. Think of when a man uh, serenades a woman whom he loves. And think about how Jesus today serenades his bride, rejoices over you with singing, sings wonderful uh, songs over you. I want to encourage you, don't shrink back in fear. His presence is home for you. His presence is a place where you can feel complete acceptance. When you come in brokenness, there's no condemnation. As long as you continue with a guilty conscience, or you believe that only some people qualify for his uh, presence, right? And that you will never experience his manifest presence. It means that somewhere along the line, you've limited what God can do for your life, okay? If you've believed in your head that he can do it for other people, but not for you, you deceive yourself into thinking, yes, I do believe. No, you just believe theoretically and you believe it's for someone else, all right? And I'm telling you right now, if you don't truly believe that it's also for you, that Jesus wants to manifest himself in your presence, wants to reveal himself to you, then it means you don't believe because there's not a theoretical thing. Jesus is very personal. Now, if we only focus on his delight toward us, it becomes humanistic meology. And this is the mistake many people make. They have this revelation and they have it quite accurately, but they think that's all that an encounter is about, right? It's important for us to also look at some other manifestations of encounters and what happens when we meet with Jesus. But that first one is an important foundation that he expresses his delight in you. 
The second one is that he calls you to align your mission with his. He calls you to align your mission with his. You know, many people say they had an encounter with Jesus, but nothing actually changes with regards to mission alignment. They go out and they're doing the same thing. They go out and their use of time is still the same. You see, when we meet with Jesus, he calls us to realign our mission with his, and then he he provides the grace for this to happen. God's will will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. Simple as that. You see, he will never ask you to do something that he doesn't also enable you to do. And I'm telling you, when we have a true encounter with Jesus, our use of time changes. We make a decision to glorify his time and his will, right? And he becomes all that we have. For me to live is Christ. That's what Paul the Apostle ended up saying. And we see this in scripture. Encounters often enable us to just give our all. You know, the, the more time we spend with the Lord and we have a taste of heaven, we just want more. We just want more. If you have a taste of a piece of heaven, you know, when someone then says, you need to spend more time with the Lord, it's not this difficult chore because you've already had an encounter with him. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, come follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. How many of you know that with Jesus, it's always an upgrade. It's always an upgrade. They were fishing for fish. And Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. He takes you to another level. And you see, because of our warped value system, we often don't see it as an upgrade, but it is. You see, if you don't really value people, your mindset is like, no, the fish are okay. But how many of you know that? Human beings are far superior, right? Are far superior, right? When you compare them with fish. So don't despise kingdom vision and don't despise kingdom mission, right? It has eternal value. It's more fulfilling for your soul than anything the world can offer you. I want to ask you a question. Are you aware of what Jesus is inviting you to? Are you aware of what Jesus is offering you? Are you aware of how great it is? You know, it's like that person who's trying to offer you what they think is a dream job and they can't understand why you're remaining in the environment that you're remaining in. They can't see it. They're like, why wouldn't you choose this? This will open you up globally. This is amazing. And I believe it's like that for the Lord sometimes. Come, I'll make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. But we don't want to let go. When you have an encounter with Jesus and you have a taste of a piece of heaven, there's something in you that is saying, That's better than what I have. In Luke chapter 12, 29 to 23, I want to emphasize this because we're often bound by the spirit of mammon. That spirit, that entity from darkness that controls materialism in the world. Luke chapter 12, 29 to 33 says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. Now, when it speaks of a pagan, the pagan were religious people. The pagans were religious people who worshipped foreign gods. All right? You can be a religious person, but still worship mammon. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. So, Father God isn't saying, you don't need that. That's not necessary. 
All right? He knows that you need these things. But what does he say? Seek his kingdom first. Okay? Seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not fail, will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Are you holding on to things that Jesus is saying, just let go of that. Let go of that. I will provide for you. Seek me first. In Matthew chapter 19, 16 to 22, Bible says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to and be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I'd like to believe that he, he did obey Jesus. And maybe that's why he was feeling sad because he was grieving this loss. I'd like to believe that. But this is what happens to many people today. They're moral people. They are good people. They've obeyed all these other commandments but they're still bound by the spirit of mammon. Could that be you? When we come out of a true encounter with Jesus, our value system and our priorities change. Our value system and our priorities change. And I've seen that for so many people. They say, these are my values, but they're just espoused values. They're just nice-to-haves. They're not core non-negotiable values. Many people today are religious and they're moral, but sadly, they're still bound by mammon. There's nothing wrong with wealth, but the real test will always be when you have to part with it. I want to ask you a question. What would your use of time be like if you were completely burdened with the things that burden him? That's what an encounter does to us. There's an, there's an exchange that takes place. An encounter with Jesus will result in you becoming more sensitive to the burden of the Lord. You place your burdens before him and he gives you his burden. You'll find yourself developing his heart and carrying that into your community, reflecting Jesus. It should concern us when Christians say and do things that are the complete opposite of God's heart toward people. Are you ready for your mission to change? Are you ready for your mission to be aligned to his mission? Because that's what encounters do for us. Are you ready for your value systems and your, um, your, the direction of your life, your priorities and your use of time? Are you ready for a change there? 
because that's what an encounter does. It's not just goosebumps, goosebumps and nice music and then you get up and nothing has changed. The third thing that an encounter does is it ignites faith. Jesus comes and he ignites faith in you. We see this with Thomas and we sometimes call him doubting Thomas, but I think many of us would be the same situation he was. Look how Jesus ignites his faith. In John 20, 24 to 29, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus means twin, okay, Thomas the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I believe that this is a space many Christians are in right now where they've decided I won't believe. And this is the basis of my belief. This has to have happened. That has to have happened. Now, the fact is Jesus had said, guys, I will rise from the dead. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So he wasn't believing based on the word of Jesus. He wasn't believing based on the word of witnesses who had seen Jesus. He said, I have to see it myself. And where have you limited the move of God because of your unbelief? Where have you made certain decisions and said, Lord, I will only do this if you do X, Y, Z. I don't trust your promises. I don't trust what other people have said. I don't trust that prophetic word I received. I don't trust it. You have to have done this and this and this. But at the root of it, it's unbelief. But what does Jesus do? I love Jesus' patience with us. He knows how we are wired. He knows our frailty. It goes on to say in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So in the same way that Jesus knew about Thomas's doubting, Jesus knows about your doubting and he deals with it. He comes with the evidence. He says, look, you can touch me. Look at the experience you had with me, tangible experience where I rescued you from that situation last year. He reminds you of what he has done. He shows you the evidence and then he gives you an instruction or an admonition, and he basically says, stop doubting and believe. And it's a choice we make. And I want to encourage you right now, he's igniting faith in you. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He responded in worship. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's what faith is, isn't it? It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. You see, the Bible is clear that without faith, we cannot please God. It says that in Hebrews 11 verse 6, Jesus loves it when we believe him based on what he has said, based purely on his word. And we're blessed when we do so. That's why it says blessed are the ones who believe yet they haven't seen so my question to you again is, are you like Thomas who had pre-decided the basis of his belief? Only if he saw it with his own eyes, then he would believe. 
Sometimes when we have an encounter with Jesus, he will rebuke us. Sometimes he will instruct us and say, stop doubting, believe. Elsewhere, he challenges his disciples. It wasn't just Thomas who was challenged. He says, come on, guys. Are you this unbelieving? You've been with me this long. Are you still this unbelieving? Where's your faith? He was shocked by the lack of faith. Could Jesus be shocked by the lack of your faith? Because there's so much evidence of his goodness around you when you look at your life. Now, what I find amazing about this is Thomas was significant enough to Jesus for Jesus to take time to show him the evidence and to admonish him. And I believe that you are important enough to Jesus today for Jesus to take time to prepare you for an encounter, to challenge you, to rebuke you with regards to your level of faith. So this happened to Jesus. This happened through Jesus to Thomas. And I believe that it's also going to happen through Jesus to you today. Finally, I want to share with you the fourth thing that happens when we have encounters with Jesus. He lifts our burdens. He will lift your burden. He will lift my burden. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. He doesn't put more weights on you. He's saying, come. Are you weary today? Are you heavily laden with all sorts of things? When you come to Jesus, he gives you rest. If you are having an encounter with Jesus or you think you're about to have an encounter with Jesus and all you're hearing is just more laws, more rules, a bigger list of things you have to do, then it's probably not Jesus speaking to you because the nature of Jesus and his heart, he basically says, come to me, all who are weary and heavily laden, I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll hear his gentleness coming through his voice as he speaks to you. You'll hear his humility coming through. He'll meet you right where you're at. He goes on to say, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you burdened today? He says, come to me. He's inviting the burdened. Some of you are so burdened that you're not actually coming to him. You see, you will find rest when you come to him. You know, there are many reasons why believers end up burdened. Are you carrying any weights that Jesus hasn't given you to carry? What are the debilitating rules that you've created for yourself that are just weighing you down? Maybe you're trying to be a mom like your mom was. God has called you to be a mom that he's called you to be based on how you are wired. What are some of the debilitating rules you've created that are burdening you? Replace them and displace them with empowering rules. Are you trying to control things that are beyond your sphere of influence? Maybe you need to set healthy boundaries. Maybe you need to understand this is where I end and this is where the next person begins. Are you embarking on assignments that God has not graced you to handle? Remember, God's will will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. Jesus wants to quench your thirst today. I'm reminded of the Ray Bolt's uh, wonderful song from years ago. That's what this altar is for. That's what this altar is for. 
That's what this altar is for. You don't have to carry those burdens anymore. Do you remember that song? I know I'm dating myself now, right? It goes on to say, there's a light in the darkness. There's a light in the darkness. There's a love that's true. And Jesus is waiting. He is waiting here for you. And then goes on to say, go quickly now. Go quickly now before they close the door. Go quickly now before they close the door. That's what this altar is for. That's what this altar is for. It's for us to take our burdens to him. And that's what's going to happen in your life today. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us the Holy Spirit and that when the Spirit is present and manifest, we experience liberty. I pray for every single person who's listening to this message. Lord God, as they yearn for an encounter with Jesus, let them experience these things. Let their burdens begin to be lifted. May you ignite faith in them, almighty God. May you touch them, Lord, so that their mission will be realigned, so that it's aligned to your mission. Lord, may you come and do this precious work in our midst. Father, ignite that faith like never before. Give us the God kind of faith so that we tap into your dimension and we taste a piece of heaven. And Father, I pray that each person who's listening to this message has a revelation of your delight, not just your love, but your delight in them. So I bless them, Lord God. May we be people who experience these encounters. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.